So good morning, everybody. And Micha, thank you so much for being here. It is just so good and reassuring to see you and, and just to hear you and to see you and to see your smile and to hear your wisdom. So first, would love to just, you know, get an update from you about how you and your wife, Tsipi, are. Tsipi is actually a nurse, so she's, you know, on the front lines. She must be seeing COVID patients. You have two, you know, 12-year-old girls, Shiri and Avital. Wanted to just hear how your family is doing, like all families in quarantine. How is the Goodman family of Kfar Adamim doing in quarantine when your wife and mother is a nurse in the COVID ward? Uh, what's it like in Kfar Adamim? Uh, what is it like in Israel? And then if you can expand out and kind of connect this COVID-19 surreal moment with Passover that begins on Wednesday night and give us some things to think about the, re the intersection of Pesach and COVID-19 and how Pesach can be helpful with us in thinking about COVID-19. Thank you, Rabbi. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Rabbi. And with all my good, good friends in Temple Emmanuel in Newton. And thank you for asking about, about our family. Um, my wife, Tiffy, is a nurse in the emergency room in Shari Tzedek. And she's actually in the Corona section. So what we call these are the biological section. So she, and they took her shifts, she expanded it from eight hour shifts to 12 hour shifts. And she's out there, she's now there. She's now there uh, from seven in the morning to seven in the evening. She's there, which means she leaves at six o'clock in the morning and comes back at eight o'clock just to, just to go back to the war the next day. And um, we're extremely, extremely proud of her. Her and her friends and her team. And they have, um, it's impossible to imagine the amount of courage that they have to face this plague and to give their love, their empathy and everything they have to all the Corona patients that are in Shari Tzedek now. And it's very, very tough. We're only in the beginning of this, only the beginning of this. Sippy knows that. I know that. We all know that. What we are trying to do as a family is that today just struck me that me and my girls, we should be more isolated than anybody else in our community. We don't let our girls play with other kids because since her, their mom is a nurse in the emergency room, so we have to assume that they have it. They have to assume. So I don't know if, I don't know if we could stop me tipping and the girls from getting it, but we wanted to make sure that we're not going to spread it. So that's what we took on ourselves. We're in a constant, constant isolation from our neighbors, from our friends. Pesach, we are going to do in our garden, and all our neighbors are going to do in their gardens, and we're going to sing Manishtan on the top of our lungs so we can all see each, hear each other singing. We call it, which is like a movement doing in Israel, it's called Everybody's eating in isolation, but we are trying to sing on the top of our lungs so everybody will hear everybody else singing Manishtan, uh, and then the Tikva in the end of Rehla Sezer. That is a very big project we're having in Israel. We also, Beit Prat is also involved in spreading this, this, this idea. So people are asked to move their sado tables to the window or to the mirpesa, to the balcony, to do it outside. So even if we're not sitting together, we are singing together. That's the idea. Uh, eating, eating in isolation, but sing, eating separately, but singing together. So, um, oh, and, and you also asked about Israel. Israel as a whole seems to be doing okay. I mean, I know usually we're in situations where 
Americans are worried about Israelis. Seems like you guys have, um, we're very worried about Americans. We're very, very worried about America. I know we're all worried about New York. I hope in Boston, you guys feel safe. You feel it's under control. And uh, before I continue, Wes, can I ask you, how, how are you guys feeling? So we're feeling um, very grateful for people like CP in America. And we have a number in our own shul uh, who, you know, our doc, their doctors, nurses, medical care professionals, like your wife, they leave their family. Um, I mean, I, I just spoke with a, a doctor in our shul about 10 days ago, who's not uh, as, you know, critical care specialist, not an emergency room doctor, not, um, not a COVID-19, you know, his specialty is not COVID-19, um, but uh, he's not in infectious disease. He's in some other field, but his hospital just said, we need all hands on deck. Wow. And like your wife, he leaves, his, he leaves his wife and he leaves his three kids and he goes and serves 12 hour days with wow. COVID-19 patients. And we have a number of doctors, nurses, and medical care professionals in our shul who do that, as there are in the Commonwealth, as there are in the country, as there are in the, in the planet. And all of us just don't even have words for that. Um, can I ask you, you know, Micha, you, you live, you know, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. You teach, therefore you are. You give lectures, therefore you are. Um, how is this uh, isolation intersecting with your role as teacher? And when you wake up in the morning, what do you do with your role as teacher if you're in isolation? Yes, so because of, I, I don't think Zoom is the real thing. I don't think teaching through technology is real, real te uh, uh, teaching because teaching really is not just spreading words. It's a whole energy that moves from side to side. And right. A lot is lost in translation. But I do feel like I have a role here. I have a role here to, um, um, there's, I have 3,000 people like different like activists in the bait prop movement. And we want them to have an impact on 50, to empower and strengthen 50, 60,000 Israelis in their age group. And my role is to empower them, to energize them, to be active. Like we have an idea for them to stand outside of emergency rooms with signs. We love you, we admire you. To, uh, to, to support doctors, to support nurses. We want to channel the national mood from anxiety to gratitude, just like you were describing, from anxiety to gratitude, from fearing the disease to admiring the people that are fighting it. And in Israel, Rabbi, we kind of know how to do this because in Israel, we're trained to admire soldiers. And when there's a war in Lebanon, so we go out of our way to buy packages for soldiers and we do concerts for them. And we make sure that they know that when they're risking their lives for us, we love them for it. And that energizes them. But now here we're in a unique war. And, it's such, and there's, I find, I know this is gonna sound bad, I find some light here. Because this is a war, it's a different kind of a war. Usually in a war, you're afraid of different people. You're afraid from different countries. Here, we're not afraid of Syria, we're not afraid of Iran, we're not afraid of Lebanon, we're afraid with Syria. We're afraid with Iran. We're afraid with Lebanon. This is a war they not, we're not afraid of other nations, we're afraid with other nations. So, and this, so for the first time, there is a war that creates, doesn't divide us, it unites nations, 
it's uniting the world. And I'm speaking to Palestinian friends and I hear their issues, they're my issues. My wife, my this, Zoom doesn't work. People are fired all around. They're the same issues, the same issues all over the world. We're having the same issues, a medical crisis, an economic crisis, political crisis, people taking advantage of, the, of this situation of uncertainty in order to change politics. So this triple crisis is happening all over the world simultaneously. And where we see this, where we see this most is in medical teams. Because in Israel, we're used to admiring soldiers. What, what would it mean to admire medical teams, to buy packages to medical teams, to express gratitude towards medical teams? It means that for the first, that means we're reinventing patriotism in Israel. Because for the first time, you could admire, because in Sippy's medical team, you have this guy Adnan from East Jerusalem, a Palestinian from East Jerusalem, and you have a doctor from Jabal Mukaba, also East Jerusalem, and she has Haredi nurses with her, Haredi. So we have an opportunity to admire Palestinians, to have gratitude to the Palestinian doctor, to have gratitude to the ultra-Orthodox Haredi nurse. So we have, for the, we have an opportunity to access gratitude and experience admiration, not to soldiers, but to diverse, to diversity, to diverse medical teams. So that is a very interesting moment in Israeliness. And then they probably want to capture this moment. So by channeling national mood from anxiety to gratitude and expressing gratitude towards Palestinian doctors and Haredim and settler from El Azar and some secular from Jerusalem, and it's so diverse. And I know from Tippi, you see, because Hospitals have to be diverse. The medical teams are diverse. The patients are diverse because, you know, we're after elections and elections, elections divide us because ideologies divide people. Ideology divides us, biology unites us. We all have the same bodies. And that's why medical teams are diverse and the patients are diverse because it's one thing all human beings share. We have the same body and a plague attacking our bodies, attacking our, all, our we have the same bodies. So even though we have different ideologies, we have the same biology. So this opportunity to admire and I don't want to say worship, but that's like how I want it to be. Having people with signs outside admiring Palestinians and ultra-Orthodox and ordinary Israelis together is a great moment. It's a moment that, that I hopefully this moment that Corona is creating will survive the day after Corona. So, yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, that's so beautiful. Uh, how Talk about the day after the day after Corona okay. ends. Uh, how does life not go back to normal um, with what it had been? How do we hold on to the silver linings? Exactly, exactly. So I'm thinking a lot about this, Wes. I have this, um, did I tell you about the Palestinian friend from London, which had the crazy background? Remember that story? Yeah, please go. Yes. So I was talking to, so, so, so she calls me up and she's a Palestinian. Her name is Claire in London. And she said to me, Micha, you know, there is de facto a um, ceasefire between Israel and Hezbollah, Israel and Hamas. No violence. You don't see Palestinians, you know, marching towards the fence in Gaza. That's not, that's not happening now. You don't see terrorists from Hezbollah shooting rockets in the north. That's not happening. There's a ceasefire now. No one's talking about it because we're so busy with Corona. We didn't notice there is ceasefire in the Middle East. Okay. <laughs> so she had this great insight. She said, Micha, what do we have to do so that after Corona ends, let's just continue the ceasefire. We already achieved it. Let's just continue it. 
Like, what would it, what would it take for us when Corona, when Corona is going to end, we're going to say, okay, let's go back to business as usual and start fighting each other again. Or are we going to use this moment where it froze to keep it going? And I thought, that's a, such a great question. But it's not only true about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's also true about shaming and bullying on the internet. That's also not really happening now. And people, and will we go back to be our regular jerks after this is over? Right. Yeah. Like right now, you go to my call and follow the meme, and they ask you, do you also want to buy for people that don't have, and everybody buys more groceries for people who, who don't, and we have so many people volunteering, taking groceries to people's homes so they won't have to leave their homes because they're older. And like all this goodwill, is this going to end after Corona? So here's, so, so I, the way I see it like this, the government has to end Corona. Civilians have to make sure that all the good of Corona survives Corona. The right. government has to end the biological problems. We have to continue the light that was discovered in the age of Corona. And that's, I think, our biggest question, Wes. This is the big question. And, and are of you, course, yes. So are you, you must be thinking about, because you're not doing your normal rounds, you wake up in your home with the girls. How are you personally, Michael Goodman, um, embracing this challenge? And, and what do you see as your role in it? To hold on to the good after Corona is over. So... The, um, what I, so first of all, I'm trying to verbalize what are we discovering about our nature, about who we can be. Like when somebody meets the best version of him or herself. Mm. So, you know, you're not always your best version, right? Right. But it's very empowering to know that that version exists. Right. So when Israel wakes up in the morning and sees its best version, we'll go back to be the same old jerks we were. But it's <laughs> empowering. But let's first of all try to verbalize what is this? What is this that we are? What are the powers we are discovering? So I feel like one of my roles is to try to articulate this. What is it that we're discovering? And I'll, I'll give you an example of a, um, a sermon I gave to a little bit over 500 uh, Beit Prat graduates on, on Friday, okay, over Zoom, okay, where Jewish tradition is very, very good at um, creating... Um, me, living with messy contradictions. So Shabbat in, in Exodus, Shabbat is in memory of creation. And the Midrash and the Talmud, they say, when you observe Sabbath, you are a witness that God created heaven and earth. So Shabbat is about witnessing creation. And someone, so much was written about this, you know, Heschel and everything. But in Shabbat, you remind yourself that you're created, just like everything else was created. You're one with everything. The Palestinians are created, the, the dogs, the cows, the trees, everything is created. It's a day of harmony. I'm not in control of nature. I am nature. I'm a part of nature. We're all created. Okay, that's one area. It's beautiful, powerful. We move to the Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says, for some reason, Shabbat is it's by, by practicing and observing Shabbat, we are remembering that we used to be slaves in Egypt, just like slaves are waiting for their day of rest. We have a day of rest and we are now liberated every week from Egypt. And it's to remember that you used to be a slave in Egypt. Now that is different. Egypt versus Genesis, Egypt is not about nature, it's about history. 
to remembering an historic event. And that historic event is a particular event. It happened only to the Jewish people. It's our story. Remember our story. The story that happened to us and didn't happen to anyone else. And we have no problem in Kiddush to say, Zecher lemaseh bereshit, Zecher Take the two Shabbatot of Exodus and Deuteronomy, unite them, make it universal, make it particular. Remind yourself that you're part of the world. Remind yourself that you have a unique, amazing history. And Judaism never had a problem with having this messy combination of strong patriotism, we're Jews, we're proud of it, and universalism, we're part of the world, we, we, everybody is equal. And does that, how does that work out? It doesn't, is it messy? No problem. But, but that's what the Talmud says, shamor v'zachor b'dibur echad. The two parts of Shabbat of Deuteronomy and Exodus are one, and it's messy, and you live this paradox, and everything is great. There's only one problem with this whole nice Torah. People don't live this way. People don't live this way. In Israel, I know that people that feel like very patriotic, very Israeli, I would say the more patriotic they feel, the less empathy they have from people from other nations. And outside of Israel. At the same time, my Israeli friends that feel all humanists and cosmopolitical, and they have empathy with the pain of all human beings in the world, they don't have strong patriotic instincts. They, sometimes they're embarrassed of being an Israeli or a Jew. And somehow, the paradox of Shabbat, of Shamov, of, 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 as a memory of Egypt and a memory that you're created like everybody else. You were, you were a slave and you escaped from, from Egypt. That's one Shabbat. And you're just like Egypt. That's the other Shabbat. You're created just like the Egyptians. And it doesn't, and now Corona, and, and it doesn't really fit. And now Corona comes around and I see this messy combination alive for everyone. On the one hand, I experience among my Israeli friends and students, we know that we're a part of the world. And we feel for every human being, we have the same experience. Again, because ideology separates us, biology unites us. And the problems we have are the same problems Palestinians have. And we feel for them, we feel, we have this shared universal experience. And at the same time, and there's no tension at all. I can't tell you how Israelis are proud today. So you have planes now of Israelis that are hiking all over the world, coming up, escaping, coming. Everybody wants to be in Israel now. They don't want to be anywhere. All the Israelis living outside of Israel, they all want to come back to Israel. They want to come back home. And there's a strong sense of solidarity and people are having their flags outside. And really? Really? The messiness of Judaism is alive in Israel today, where strong patriotism and strong universalism is completely alive. We feel like we're a part of the world and we feel very proud to be Jewish. And for some reason, at one moment, a weird moment of light, there's no, we're not experiencing this as a contradiction. It's alive. So I tell my students, can we keep this alive? When Corona ends, can this continue? There's so, and, and let's figure out what are the amazing impossible things that Corona is teaching us that things we thought were impossible that Corona is teaching us is possible. And how do we verbalize that? Hold on to that. Corona will end and this will live on. And I want to tell you something, Rabbi. The idea that 
Certain circumstances brings out certain behavior and the circumstances end, but you hold on to that behavior. In some sense, that is what Judaism is about. Let me try to explain this point. And this is where we're going to start connecting this to the Pesach story. Okay, Rabbi? Great. Where, in some way, this is one way to think. I, have, I was speaking with this about a good, a good friend that lives in a community up north. Talking in the phone, he said, you know, Micha, his son was, just a few years ago, he's riding a motorcycle, his son. And his son was in a horrible, horrible accident. He was in a coma and he thought he was losing his son. And he was on his bedside saying psalms, praying to God, save my son, save my son. And he said to himself, I will never text while I'm driving. Never. I will never pass the speed limit. Never. I'll never do anything I'm not allowed to do. Ever. And he had this absolute certainty at that moment that he's going to be a different person and behave differently. Thank God his son came out of the coma and he's functioning and he's happy and he's healthy. Thank God. He tells me it took him about two months to text again while he's driving. <laughs> <laughs> the thousand speed limit. He like, and he says to me, why? I had it, and he says to me on the phone yesterday, I had so much certainty at that moment. The moment ended, the certainty went with it. And extreme moments bring certainty the moments end, and that ends with it. And you're back to being the same jerk all over again. So this is like not, this is so, this means that after human nature's Corona will end and all this empathy and every, all the, everything we're learning in Corona is gonna just, you know, stay in the Corona age and we'll, we'll be shaming each other in the internet and fighting with the Hezbollah. We'll, we'll, we'll be our old selves again. And that's the tragedy. But think about what Judaism does. It, it assumes the following. There's a great event, the event is over. We want something for that event to stay with us for the rest of our life. Wes, isn't that what Pesach is about? Mm. We have Exodus, a great ecstatic moment, and every and we decided that Exodus will end, but it will stay a part of our lives. Mm. That was the Jewish decision, and every year, we will go into Dudule the Seder. And now we will do, Rambam says, The person has to show himself as if he himself or she is a slave now escaping their master. We are, so what, what Judaism does, the mo great moment ends, but we learn from it lives on. And it becomes a part of our life, not through philosophy, but through ritualization, but through imitation, but through practice. So what? So that's so fabulous, Michal. What, what will be the rituals that will embody and perpetuate the exactly. silver linings from Corona? Exactly. So I think this, now we're touching, I don't really know, but now we're touching, Judaism should guide us. Judaism is about, we were 40 years in the desert. That, those, that episode is over. But every year we will be sleeping in, in, in Sukkot. We had like this, this 40 years where we realized that everything is temporal and everything, and we want that to be a little bit a part of our life. 
So how do we take Corona and in Mount Sinai, we got the Torah, we say, you know what? Every year on Shavuot, we'll study the Torah. We'll take, we'll make sure through the process of ritualization that the wisdom that was created in events, the event is, ends, the wisdom continues to live. So I think now we have to be very Jewish. Now we have to ask two things. What's the Torah of Corona? And how does the Torah of Corona live on through the process of ritualization after Corona is over? So you ask me, Wes, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to verbalize the Torah of Corona. And then we all have to think together, how does the Torah of Corona survive the end of Corona? Because we both want both things. We all want both things. We want Corona to end. I want Sippy back. We want, we want people, we, we don't want Corona. But at the same time, we have to fight Corona. We have to fight to keep alive the wisdom created in the age of Corona. And that's, I think, so public policy and technology will end Corona. It will. It will. And I think it'll be quicker than we think, by the way. It will end Corona. But will the wisdom created in Corona end with it? That's the bigger question. And that's a question that rabbis, that teachers, that just people, this is what we have to think about now. When we're at home, we're not sippy, we're not Corona fighters, but maybe we're fighting for the day after Corona to keep the wisdom, the light of Corona alive after Corona ends. Wow, Micha, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. I wanna, I wanna focus in on a couple of other facts of Corona, because we're still in the middle of Corona and ask for your wisdom on it. Uh, one is, what do we do with the fear that many of us feel? What's, what's the Torah on fear? Is a fear that I might get it, fear that somebody that has it might die, and fear, uh, a whole separate universe of fear, obviously, of, of the economy. You haven't really talked about the economy in Israel, but the economy in America is collapsing. I mean, collapsing. Yes. Uh, so much unemployment, you know, just scary, num unprecedented numbers. These are numbers that have never happened before in the history of our country. And, you know, a month ago, five weeks ago, our economy was so unprecedentedly strong and it just flipped and it just collapsed. So, and that's real people losing their jobs. They don't know how to pay rent. They don't know how. And the response of the government, which is, you know, $2 trillion is, you know, a family gets $1,200. How long does $1,200 last? I mean, there's real fear, real fear, and both on the health and on the wealth. And then, the, so I, if you could talk about fear, and then the other thing if you could talk about, just very hard about this, is uncertainty. There's nobody on the planet. I hope what you say is right, that technology and public policy will end this, but nobody really knows. And so it's not like, you know, the seven weeks from Pesach to Shavuos, we know it's seven weeks, so we can deal with seven weeks. This could be seven months, who knows? Uh, we have no idea. So, so what's, what's the wisdom of our tradition on fear and the wisdom of our tradition on dealing with prolonged uncertainty? Yes. So what captured me, what you said was five weeks ago, America felt like it was on the top of the world. Right. We're strong. Um, Wall Street is only, is only getting strong stronger, everybody's making money, everybody's strong, everybody's happy, then suddenly you're in this radical, unprecedented situation of uncertainty. I don't know what's the percentage of unemployment now in the U.S. In Israel, it's 24%. It's 
So how are, how are Israelis and how is Israel dealing with that? So just like you guys have a, uh, so um, the government just gave out um, a thousand shekels for a family. Like, you know, it's not, we're, we're in the community I live in, something, I just got an amazing WhatsApp where they said, listen, y'all got now from the government a thousand shekels. Some of you need it, some of you don't. So the community said, whoever doesn't need that a thousand shekels, give it to the part of the community so we could channel it to the people who need it more. Very, very nice. I know many communities are doing this. Very, very nice idea. Very, very nice idea. But, um, um, it's just the, so, but the main thing is people know, okay, I'm out of a job, but it's very, like I have a friend that has a restaurant nearby. And he just, so he let 40 workers off because what are they going to do? You can't go to a restaurant. And, but the minute people, the minute this is over, all those 40 are going to have a job again. And I'm sure we're all going to go, be, be, we'll be going out for dinner again. But the question is, is it seven weeks or is it seven months? Or is it the entire year and a half until they find the vaccine? What is it? So it's not that, so first of all, we know it's going to end. We don't know when it's going to end. And just like we're hoping that, I, I wanted to say, the wisdom of Corona has to live past the health crisis, there's also the bad news. Will the economic crisis outlive the health crisis? These are all big, big questions. But I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna go back, I don't, I don't know if I have much wisdom here, but I just wanna say, I wanted to connect this back to Exodus, to Yitzhak Yitzhak, to Pesach, where in the Jewish, there is something very interesting in the way um, the story of Exodus is designed where Moses and the people, the Hebrews in Egypt, have two big challenges in front of them. They have the challenge of Egypt, this massive, powerful empire, the most advanced civilization of their times, the source of all knowledge, the source of, of power, of technology. And now they're victims of this very advanced civilization. This very advanced civilization is oppressing them, is enslaving them. They're slaves. They don't have any power. They're the bottom of the food chain. They have no liberty. And then Moses says, I will liberate you. We will escape our masters. We're going to go into liberation. That's one challenge. There is a second challenge. The second challenge is once they leave Egypt, they enter the desert. That's a different challenge. The challenge of the desert is that they have no water to drink. They have no food to eat. They have no certainty. Mm. So Egypt is the world of, hi, Avital. Egypt is the world of no liberty. The mm. desert is the world of no certainty. So you have two different challenges, right? And they move from one challenge only to another challenge. That's all that happens. Now, I have good news for you, not slaves anymore. I have bad news for you, no more certainty. And what do the people of Israel always do when they're in the desert and they panic? What do they do, Rabbi? What do they always do? They always have to do the same thing. They go to Moses and what do they say to them? We want back to Egypt. Right. Right? If this was a Shi'u, I'd show you all the text, right? We want back to Egypt. 
Mitana Rosh Venashuva Mitzrayma. We want a new person appointed, they say to him, in Bamidbar, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, Numbers, and we want to return. They always want to go back to Egypt. Why? And this is something that, that Thomas Hobbes knew and understood about human nature. When we're scared, we'll always trade liberty for security. Mm. The world of Egypt was a world of security. They knew they had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm. There was order. There was order, but no liberty. The desert, there's no order, but absolute liberty. And Thomas Hobbes argues that people will always choose, will always, will always sacrifice our liberty for security. Yeah. And what's the challenge of Yitziat Mitzayim? What's the challenge of Passover? To dare to move from Egypt to the desert. To escape enslavement and to move into the uncertainty. To live with the uncertainty. Why do we eat matzah on Passover? We eat matzah on Passover to capture exactly that. What is matzah? We did, we, when, when we left civilization to a world with no civilization, we didn't even pack our bags. That's what it says. Mm. They didn't pack their bags because they were in such a hurry that they couldn't even have the matzah. How do you call it? Um, um, the bread to bake? How do you say it? Baked. It wasn't baked enough. It had to be baked yeah. before it was. How do you say it? To turn into chametz. Before it. Leaven, leaven, leavening. It, was, before, it wasn't leavened. Yeah. It wasn't leavened. So right before it was leavened, they take it because they had no time. So we eat matzah every year to remind ourselves that we went out to the wilderness without preparing. That we just ran out. There was a leap of faith. And it's a big, big question. If you want to live in countries, in places, in spaces with liberty, we have to be willing to give up a certain level of security and to live with less certainty. And, um, and I think this is our challenge today. In this Passover, Passover, which we celebrate the Jewish people willing to, it, and their fight for liberty, to sacrifice security, to move from Egypt. Mm. They rather a world with no civilization over a world with, an, a, with a civilization that enslaves you. Mm. That was that Passover moment, and they always regretted it because they're Jews. They always regret it. They want to return to Egypt. They're complaining. They're clutching. But that heroic moment, and it's interesting that Passover is the moment that we celebrate the heroism of living in uncertainty. And here we are, Wes. Here we are, living Wes, in a moment where living. we have to accept lack of certainty. Right. Accept the fact that we have no certainty. Yeah. Except the fact that we're in the wilderness again. Five weeks ago, we were in a strong civilization, and now we're out on the wilderness. And here's something I'm afraid of, Rabbi. I want to tell you something I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of back, bad things we're going to be learning from Corona. I want to share with you a dystopia, okay? Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what would happen if after Corona, we'll look back and we'll say, you know what? It's China where Corona didn't really, it, they survived Corona and liberal democracies collapsed under Corona. We might say, you know what? You know what? Suddenly societies which are based on digital dictatorships 
where the big brother can follow every movement. Yeah, like in China and other places in, in the world now. And I hope Israel is not going in that direction. This would be a, a, a real dystopia if Israel goes that direction. Yeah. Can you say fight. a word about that, by the way, about the cell phone thing, about being trailed? And what do you think about that, being tracked? I, I don't understand phone? it enough. I, I didn't, I, there's a big debate. I don't think I know the, the Bennett says it's not a big, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about Israel. Okay. I don't, think, I don't think we're in a digital dystopia yet in Israel. But how, how will we go to it? How will we find ourselves in digital dystopia? The more we're afraid, the more we we'll want certainty and we'll trade liberty for certainty. That's the reverse of Pesach. We'll want to be in Egypt and not in the desert. Mm. We'll want to be enslaved by a digital dictator and not um, out in the desert with no certainty. And the challenge of Pesach, the challenge of Pesach is to say, I'm willing to live with a certain dose of uncertainty, but I don't want big brother following me around. And what will happen? What will happen? Here's a guess, okay? This is just a guess. We'll be looking backwards two years from now. We'll say, hey, the digital dictators of the world um, survived Corona. I mean, they, they functioned under Corona more efficiently than liberal democracies. Because they knew where civilians went and quarantine was quarantine. You didn't want to, you know, and that makes sense, right? This is the, the, it will hit liberal democracies more than it will hit. And people will say, you know what? Maybe that's a better way to live. But on the other hand, I'm pretty sure that the vaccine and the technologies and the, innovate and the med and medical innovation that will solve corona, that will come from liberal democracies. Because new ideas only come from free societies. And order comes from digital dictatorships. And we're going to ask, where do we want countries to live in a country that's very innovative or a country where there's order? And we're going to be in the Pesach dilemma. Do we want to be in the desert or in Egypt? Wow. We should be inspired by Pesach. And it's not easy to choose innovation and freedom over security and order. And until Corona, yeah, it was just, this was just a nice drush of a Pesach. Under Corona, when people are afraid, so as you know, the history of, America, of the United States of America has some um, darker moments throughout wars where suddenly there isn't so many, where, where, when people are afraid, they give the mm. government, the big brother, they give the government a lot, a lot of their liberties. And uh, I was always proud that Israel was pretty good at that. Israel is under constant war and we manage to live in a very liberal democracy I hope part of our job in Israel will be to fight to um, meet the Pesach challenge, mm. to meet the Pesach challenge and to prefer the desert, less order, more liberty over Egypt, more security, more order, mm. but less liberty. Wow. 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 So Micha, first of all, we just don't even have words to thank you enough for this Torah, which is just, you've given us all so much to think about. Um, I, what I want to do is open up. I want to invite the people. We have something like 180 people who are listening to your Torah. And um, if you guys there's can... Actually, there's actually um, a little bit more. There's 200. I'm not counting, but I am. Right. There's 237. Okay. <laughs> wow, 237. Great. So for the 237 people, um, if you can write very brief questions, if you want to ask me very brief questions, and you'll put them in the right spot on the computer program over here. And Amy is going to read 
a few questions, brief questions. I wanna, I wanna ask you the first question, Micha, as a pivot before we get to the crowd's questions. Um, this, I wanna ask you for your wisdom about how to think about God in this moment. Because in the, in the Seder, in the Haggadah, it's God is the main actor. Yad Chazakaz, Yah, the mighty hand, the strong arm. The plagues are sent by God. And the plagues are legitimate punishment to guilty, culpable people, the Egyptian society, etc. God and the pestilence, the Magefa, the Dever, is sent by God. That's the Yad Chazakah. God's strong hand is pestilence that's killing all the sheep, all the viruses that are killing all the Egyptian cattle. God sent that. And, and we moderns, I think most of us think that this virus is not sent by God. It's just bad luck. It's just biology. It's just the bad luck that you breathe the wrong air, you touch the wrong thing. You had the, you know, you sat next to the wrong person in the airplane before we knew about this. Um, God didn't send it, arbitrary sent it, randomness sent it. Um, so could you talk, so, so it's very hard for me thinking about God's role in the Seder and God's role in uh, corona, because it seems so different. God's calling all the charges and making all the decisions in the one case, and God seems to be not making any decisions in the other. It's random bad luck. How do you think about God bridging these two worlds? So, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot, right? So I don't think we should be thinking a lot about God. God is beyond our thoughts, our imagination, beyond our words, but God is an important idea because God, when God is a living category, you feel differently about yourself. About Now, you were saying before, we were five weeks ago on the top of the world, we have no boundaries. Pharaoh says, according to Ezekiel, I am the Nile, I am the God, I created me, I created the river, I created everything. The Egyptian mentality is of self-worship. And then Corona, and in some way, now in some way, you know, I spoke before, Wes, about how there is a seduction of returning to Egypt. There is other seduction in the world, becoming Egypt. Human beings have two fantasies, the fantasy of having power and the fantasy of not having power, of having someone control us. Yes, we have mm. two competing fantasies, all of us. And like Thomas Hobbes speaks about the fantasy of power. Freud speaks about a different fantasy we have. We turn to childhood where you have like a parent taking care of you, controlling you. They both have both fantasies. In the Bible, these fantasies will play out the following way. We have the fantasy of returning to Egypt. Somebody else, please control me. And you have another fantasy, becoming Egypt. Having the power, give me the money, give me the power. And, um, and um, look how quickly. And, and I think Western civilization was always under the seduction of becoming Egypt. I own the power. I'm, I, I'm omnipotent. I have no boundaries. And what does God teach us? I think God teaches us two things. First of all, you don't have all the power. There's boundaries to humanity. Mm. The ancient sin of human beings in the Garden of Eden was the, the desire to be like, to be God. That sin repeats itself in the, um, 
in the uh, Tower of Babylon where they want to touch the sky. Mm. Human beings have a tendency, we always want to deny our own boundaries. We always want to escape our boundaries. And that's, and sometimes we just want to be controlled by someone else. And what does the Torah tell us? First of all, you're not God. Second of all, you're in the image of God, which means you're not God. You don't have all the power, but you're in the image of God. You do have power. Therefore, you, can, you're, you should never be Egypt because you're not God. But you should never return to Egypt because you have power. You have agency. And I think this is a balance here in Corona. Um, I, the, the first thing that happened to me in Corona was the following. I was supposed to come out to you guys, right? Right. I think it was, you were um, supposed to be here today. Today? Oh, no, no, it's the last week. No, no. Whatever. After, oh, after, yes, Pesach, no, after, after Pesach. After Pesach, yeah. right? After Pesach, right, right, right. And I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you my story because I think it's a very, it's, it's all of our stories. Right. So I was supposed to come to you. I had another thingy in, uh, in, in July, in June in California. I had a lecture in Zurich. I had a thing in Paris. And suddenly everything was canceled. And now these lectures in Tel Aviv, that's canceled. In Ashkelon, that's canceled. And then suddenly, this is before isolation. Suddenly, you're grounded. You're grounded. And this reminded me of something. How, um, uh, th this might be a little bit long, but uh, maybe, maybe this is helpful. Please, please, please. Immanuel Kant taught us that being human is experiencing the world with two categories, space and time. And we can't escape space and time. We're trapped in space, we're trapped in time, and we can't escape these categories. And I think Western civilization, its project is to escape space and time. On the one hand, globalization is canceling space. And I'm going to California and to Australia, and space is never going to limit, limit me. I could go everywhere and anywhere on the one hand. So there is no space. Space will never limit you. Oh, and time? I saw this YouTube by this guy. Uh, I, you know, you know how, how I, I'm, I'm into Buddhism now, right? Into mindfulness. <laughs> I have this teacher. I mean, he's not my teacher. I just listen to, 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 to him. He says, Western civilization is a, is a, relation of, is a death-denying civilization. We're always distracted. We don't want to think about death. We want to own things. We want to experience things. We want to, and you think about it, if it's true, the combination of globalization and death denying, no space, no time. We're beyond space and time. And then Corona comes, bang, it told me two things, Corona. One, you're grounded, two, you might die. Which means, mm. dude, you're confined to space, stay in your mm. home, that's all you get now. Space mm. is alive and time is real. We have limited time. So in, in that sense, Corona, is a reminder that we are human beings. And Wes, if God has any role in our lives, it's to remind us that we are human beings. And to mm. be a human being is to live in space and time. It's to realize that space limits you. That's welcome to Corona, space limits you. And time is real. You can't deny the fact. We don't know how much time we have on earth, but we know it's mm. limited. So suddenly, we are met with how fragile we are, with how human we, who we, human we are. And the thing is very important Torah. This is a revelation. You are human. So in Sinai, God reveals himself and says, I am God. In Corona, 
There's a revelation. You are human. You are not God. As opposed to the entire Western project of denying the boundaries of humanity of space and time, now we're back. Very human. I think this is the Hidgalut, the part of the Torah of Quran. And what does it mean to realize that you're human again? I think there's so much depth connecting to humanity, experiencing your humanity. That's where compassion comes from. That's where, why are we so freaking ambitious all the time? Why do we want to break our boundaries instead of accept our boundaries? These are, I think, very, very important moments of the corona moments. And this is, I think, God. I mean, the sense that God is the idea that reminds you that you are not God, that you have boundaries, that you are human, and we're trapped in space and time and corona. Mm. Like a civilization that thought it was beyond space and time, and says, "Dude, you're at home. You're Newton. I'm here in the Kfaradumim, and a close friend of mine, a close friend of my parents, just died. We're just realizing, okay, okay, this is it. Time, space are real, which means being human is more real than ever." Wow! 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 Micha, cannot wow. No words to thank you for that. Uh, Amy, you want to ask a question or two from the list? Yep. Micha, thank you is the first thing I want to say. Second is, Wes, we have 237 devices that are watching, which means we're way more than that. So, Micha, we're just are really enjoying listening to you. The questions that have come in are three different types, and I'll give them to you all at once, and then you can answer them however you want. One is from Jeff Fredberg. What does this teach us about compassion? From another Amy, what are some rituals we might create to keep our learnings from Corona in the post-Corona world? And the the um, on the same type, Louise Wolf asks if you have suggestions about how we preserve this sense of universal caring through action once we're past this. How do we remember we're all in this together? So that's one type of question. The other type of question is. Are we just like the Egyptians, Paul and Marla ask, are we just like those Egyptians who didn't deserve to suffer from the plagues? And um, there are those Egyptians who didn't benefit from the slavery of the Israelites. And are we just like them? Did the giving of the Torah from Shai Rapkin, did the giving of Torah come to alleviate the uncertainty after leaving Egypt? And from Shira Goodman, this is the political one. How is, or the, the contemporary one, how is COVID impacting the Palestinian community where it's living in such close, tight quarters? And we read about Gaza, but not the West Bank. So the three types of questions, if you could pick and choose and answer for us, that would be fantastic. <laughs> okay, great. So first of all, uh, it's not that I really know how do we take the wisdom of Corona and, and make it live past and beyond Corona. But I think this is, what, but, but, but I think I know the structure of this. And we're, I'm, I'm gonna think about this more. I think we should all think about this more. And we're just at the beginning of studying this Torah and understanding this Torah. But um, what Jewish tradition does, we don't, it, I don't think we should have, I was thinking about this. So should we have like another Chag, like the Corona Chag? I don't think so. I think we should just add new layers to our existing Chagim, to our existing rituals, which means, um, God willing, next Pesach, we're post-corona. God willing, next Pesach, this is all memories, okay? So what we ask in Leila Seder, how in Leila Seder are we now tapping into our corona memories? What will matzah mean? 
We will have to give, we will have to attach the Corona Torah to our rituals and therefore bring those rituals back to life. They'll have to mean more than they ever meant before. What will Kiddush mean? What will, when we say, when we remember that we're all created and all humanity is somehow one, well, now we actually understand that much more than we ever understood that. So I think it won't be about inventing new rituals. I think it'll be more efficient, more effective, and more deep if we will, um, we will ride on existing rituals. Mm. Because rituals have power. Like, rituals have, like, just think about all the rituals we don't do anymore. We don't do handshakes anymore. I can't, I miss hand, I miss hugging. You know, we, like, we're going to be, I think there'll be a moment of real celebration of life. And I think Judaism should be celebrated again. We celebrated again in a way where, that's right, we celebrated again in a way where our, our rituals will have to have deeper meaning. And we might have to carve them, change them, shift them, so there'll be great reminders of Corona. Because by the way, that's what rituals are. They are reminders of a person you used to be, of a time we used to be in. So, and, and how do we do that? That's, I think, a big, big question. So that was regarding that package of questions. Um, I'll address just very briefly the Palestinian issue. This is an amazing moment of a lot of cooperation between Israel and, and the Palestinians. A lot of cooperation. Um, and Israelis and Palestinians are realizing that even though we want to see ourselves as very separate, well, as you know, biology connects us. And, and so like uh, there's a 100, I'll give you an example. There's 120,000 Palestinians that every that, that work in Israel. And um, I hope they'll be part of shrinking the conflict, I think, is that growing to 500,000 that would transform Palestinian economy. And now because of Pesach, so all these Palestinian workers are coming back home to the West Bank. And the Palestinian Authority this morning said, we're not sure we want them back because they might bring Corona from Israel to the Palestinian Authority. So they wanted to go Corona check before they want, so, so, so these are real, real situations filled with irony where, um, where um, um, now the Palestinians want the other Palestinians to stay in Israel, not separation from Israel. So here's the big, big question, Shira. This is a big question that all countries in the world are asking. Will the health systems collapse or not? Now, and in Israel, we have two big questions. Will the Israeli health system collapse? And will the Palestinian health system collapse? And Israel somehow feels a responsibility for both systems not to collapse. And, um, and uh, I do know that Israel is, 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 is uh, which has limited resources, is transforming the, how do you call the, the kits that check if you have corona? How do you call that? The, the, uh, the tests, the test kits. The test. The test the kits. Test. The test yeah. kits. We, are, we, have, we have limited test kits, and we're transporting test kits to Gaza and to the West Bank. And now they want Israel to, to, to try to find um, um, the breathing machines. How do you call the breathing machines? Ventilators. 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 And for, 
I think first Israel should, should, should make sure that Israel has enough ventilators. But I know that they are thinking also about finding ventilators for Palestinians. So we're in a situation where we're in this together and there's a lot of solidarity. There could be a catastrophe. There could be a catastrophe. The Palestinian health system collapses while Israel doesn't. We might be in a, in a, in a different situation, much more dystopic than today. But right now it feels like they're working together and thinking about each other. And there was a third package of questions. Which was about which the, I, innocent, the, the, the Egyptians suffered innocently. Some Egyptians who were played oh, yes. suffered innocently. So, so and, I'm and giving the arrival, you And the arrival of Shavuot, does, did the giving of Torah come to alleviate the uncertainty after we left Egypt? No, I think that the Torah comes out in order to teach us how to deal with uncertainty. Not, T Torah was never about giving you the illusion of certainty. That's what paganism is about. That's what Egypt, Egypt is about. Egypt is about redeeming you from uncertainty. Torah is about training your mind to accept uncertainty. And um, by the way, why, wh why do they worship the Egil, the calf? They worship because of their need for certainty. They, uh, they ask, where's Moses? We want a leader. We want somebody to control us. Moses is not here. And they turn to the Egel and they say, The Egel in some magical way, an Egyptian magical way, the Egyptian God will control us now. Yes, we'll surrender to it. It's, an, it's a, the infantilization of the Jewish people. And that's what we always try to do. We always want to be children again, having a grandparent. And we don't want to mature. We don't want, we want somebody else to be in control of us. And regarding the whole Egyptian thing, if I could do a promo here, that's okay. Um, I have a lecture about this tomorrow in English. It just hit me. I have a lecture on this tomorrow in English and you're all invited about, about, what, about the challenge of not becoming Egyptian and not returning to Egypt. So I'll be exploring that in, in length. It's a lecture in, it's in English. It's in a... Um, the Tikva Foundation in New York. I'll be in I'll, I'll be in Jerusalem speaking in English. So I just realized it's an opportunity. So if you want, y'all invited. If, if you didn't have too much of me today, it won't be like fun and personal with Rabbi West. It'll just be me speaking to a camera. But if you don't have enough of me today, so tomorrow I'll be discussing the whole textual part of Egypt and what would Egypt mean, not necessarily only in the Corona age, but what does it mean in Jewish thought and Jewish philosophy? And that question, are we just ordinary Egyptians that are punished because of the, the sins of the civilization and not their individual sins? So there's a larger Torah about that, and you are invited tomorrow. It's seven Israel. Maybe Amy Afters, I'll send I you the it. link. I have oh, it. you have it. I'll, I have it. I'll send it out. Cool. So, how, do you, how do you have it? Okay, cool. You, you always have everything. <laughs> <laughs> She's the Israeli government. She's digital big brother. She's yeah. digital big brother. Um, Micha, I just want to say from the bottom of all of our hearts, thank you. Your Torah is just so wise, compassionate, helpful, inspiring, and real. It's real. You're connected to the real world, and you, and you, 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 you connect with our deepest worries in the real world, and yet you, you point a way forward to a better world and empower us to get there. So with lots of love, we say thank you, thank you. We're so grateful to you. We love you. We can't wait till we'll see you again in person. And just want to, uh, may Hashem protect your wife, Sippy, and all the healthcare providers. And may you and Sippy and Shiri and Avital eat alone and sing with all of Israel. We will be singing with you.
Amen. Thank you. Lots of love. Thank you. Thank you, you, Amy and Brian. Thank all of you for being here this morning. Thank you so much. Lots of love. Bye.